what is God about to say as we read from his holy word, the very words of God, Psalm 139, we're going to pick up where Jason left off last week in verse 17. Psalm 139, starting in verse 17 through the end of the passage. David writes this. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Lord, we are gathered here in your name. Help us to be expectant to hear from you. Because you are here, ready to speak to us. Lord, please find my tongue that I might not say anything not of your will. As Alyssa said so truly, your words, God, are better than anything I could ever say. So please just move me aside and speak directly to our hearts. And if, if you will, uh, just take a moment now to pray for yourself that, uh, that you would have an open and humble heart before the Lord to hear whatever it is he wants to say. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> So last week, Pastor Jason preached to us on the first 16 verses of this psalm, Psalm 139, uh, and he so beautifully um, put before us that this psalm, the first 16 verses, they have four movements, four movements of the passage. Does anyone happen to remember the first movement of Psalm 139 that Jason told us about? It's this. God knows you. God knows you. David writes, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Man, that really struck out to, stuck out to me last week. You know when I sit and when I rise. You remember Jason said, God knows even the mundane about you. And when you get up and walk into another room to go do something and you can't remember why you walked in there, God knows that you stood up and he knows why you walked into that room. 
God knows you. The second movement, God knows you in ways that you can't. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Movement number three, God is present with you. The psalmist wrote, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths of the sea, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, or even if I settle on the farthest side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand, Lord, will hold me fast. God is present with you. And the final movement that Jason told us about is God knows you. Why? Because he wants to. God wants to know you. He delights in you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, God will rejoice over you with loud singing. He loves you. He loves to know you. And so out of that framework, we continue with the psalm where we have this transitional verse 17. David transitions us from magnifying the Lord God and being in awe and wonder over who he is and, and that he knows us. There's nowhere we can go to be separate from him, apart from him. And he transitions it to a response. And he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. Okay, let's talk about the word precious, because it's a powerful word, and it has deep meaning. Uh, precious does not just mean important, although it does mean important. It means important and valuable, but it also implies and conveys feelings of love, okay? So I want you to think back over the past 12 months of your life and think about something that you have found to be precious and just get it in your mind. Don't say it. Now I'm going to attempt to guess what it is that each of you is thinking about. You can laugh. It's really funny. <laughs> I know you guys put way too much value on toilet paper because the shelves at HEB and Walmart were completely empty. You said, okay, we got this global pandemic, deadly coronavirus. What do we need to do to protect ourselves? Well, you read somewhere that if you have at least 438 rolls of toilet paper in your house, it can't get in. Okay, and so you bought all the toilet paper you could find. It was precious to you for some reason. <laughs> but really, Gollum from The Lord of the Rings, he gives us actually a very good picture of what it's like to have something be precious to you. And what, what is it that's precious to him? The ring. The one ring to rule them all. And I could go on because I'm a nerd, but I will not in this moment. The one ring, it's precious to him. So precious, he calls it my precious. And he'll, when he has it, he holds it and he gazes lovingly upon it and he pets it and he talks to it. He says, my own, my love, my precious. 
And then when he loses it, you see how much it means to him because he, he throws out his whole life and does everything he can each day to get it back. And he travels all across Middle Earth following Frodo and Sam to get his precious ring back. And when he finally recovers it at the end of the return of the king, as he's falling to his death in the fires of Mount Doom, does he look worried? He is so excited to have the precious. The precious means more to him than his own life. That is what precious can mean. Something that means more to you than your own life. And so continuing in the theme that Jason uh, set up for us last week of movements of the psalm, we're going to look through three movements of the second half of Psalm 139. And the first one is this. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. A few different commentaries that I studied have put before us that perhaps a better interpretation of the Hebrew here is not how precious to me are your thoughts, but rather, how precious to me are your thoughts about me, God. And so the first movement is that God thinks about you all the time. David goes on to prove this and says, How vast is the sum of your thoughts about me? If I were to try and count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. God, you think about me all the time so much, and it's, it's amazing to me. I remember back uh, when I was in sixth grade, and I graduated into the youth group of Sugarland Bible Church, and I was pumped to get to the youth group. I'd been dying and waiting, dying to get here. Finally, sixth grade has arrived. Graduation Sunday has arrived. I'm in the youth group, and I am stoked about it. And think back for a second to when you're in sixth grade. Who are the coolest people in the world when you are a sixth grader? What do you say? Not seventh grader, or maybe they were to you. I can't speak for yourself. But uh, to me, the coolest people in the world when I was in sixth grade was high schoolers. High schoolers were the coolest people on earth. Man, if I could just hang out with the high schoolers, I'm just a lowly junior high. If I could hang out with the high schoolers, I would have made it. Well, guess what? When I graduated into sixth grade, into the youth group of Sugarland Bible Church, I received an invitation. Cam, cool, cool Cam of Sugarland Bible Church, high schooler in the youth group, invited me, the sixth grader, to his video game slumber party. That's right. You cannot believe it that he thought about me. Cool, cool Cam. So cool I don't even remember his last name. Cool, cool Cam thought about me and invited me to his sleepover. And I could not believe it. I felt so special that a high school student, the coolest of the cool, thought about sixth grade me. 
Have you ever had something like that in your life where someone who is just amazing thought about you and you thought, man, I can't believe they thought about me? It makes you feel really special, doesn't it? God thinks about you all the time. How precious to me are your thoughts about me, God. How vast the sum of them. And then David, in the end of verse 18, continues with a statement that seems to be a little bit random, a little out of order. And he says, when I awake, I am still with you. So as a reader, we come to this and we think, okay, hold on, did I miss something about going to sleep? Or is something coming where he's explaining this? No, it's not there. Well, David, you just spent 16 verses telling us about how God's with you. God knows you everywhere you go. You can't get away across the furthest place, the furthest side of the sea. God's still with you. Why are you telling us again, when I awake, you're still with me? As a reader, whether you're reading the Bible or anything, the news, a book, what is the most important rule of reading? Where are my readers at? Okay, there's at least four readers in the room. All right, six, eight. Um, <laughs> the number one most important rule about reading, you'll remember the intent. High school English when I tell you. Discovering the author's intent. Discovering the author's intent. So when we read scripture, we want to discover the author's intent. And we can gather his intent by looking at the context, looking at what's going on, looking at who his audience is. And the audience of this psalm is God. So we look at the context. And like I mentioned, there's nothing about when I go to sleep, you're with me. And when I wake up, you're st I'm still with you. It's just this, when I awake, I am still with you. Second thing I noticed from the context is that this is a very poetic psalm. David waxes poetic throughout every verse of the psalm. And he loves to give imagery. He says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, it's beautiful poetry. And finally, we look at what did he say right before this? He said, God, you think about me all the time. And that's amazing. So what I'm going to give you, I want to be clear, this is not, carry the authority of Scripture or the authority of God. This is my educated guess at author's intent. Why did he say again, I am still with the Lord? I think it's beautiful poetry of the dawning of a new day. David says, Lord, before I even have time to wipe the sleep from my eyes, you are still thinking of me. In my unconscious state, as I sleep through the night, you think of me still, and when I wake to consciousness, I'm already on your mind. And maybe he's saying, I want you to be on my mind with the dawning of the new day.
the next movement of this psalm is a little bit startling. It's a little bit startling. Maybe you were startled when I read it earlier, the four verses starting in verse 19. It says this, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. End of movement. That is some shocking stuff. It is not beautifully nice feeling. It does not give you the warm and fuzzies. What do we do with that? I mean, David is so passionate against these evil people, these people who are in rebellion to God, that he uses a word for hate that most of us have never said in our lives, I abhor those who are in rebellion against you. The word hate just isn't strong enough. What do we do with that? We remember the context and the author's intent, and specifically, I want to remind us of the audience. This is not David giving us a prescription for how to live. This is not a David saying, if you want to be like me, a man after God's own heart, step one, pray for God to slay wicked people. Step two, hate those who hate the Lord, abhor those who are in rebellion against God, have nothing but hatred for them, and count them my enemies. I don't think that's what David's doing here. This is a conversation, an intimate, very private conversation between David and his heavenly father, with whom he is very close. They've been through a lot together. And David is offering an honest, authentic, raw, emotionally charged venting session to his father in heaven. And that's okay. God can handle it. The final movement of this psalm, coming right out of how much David hates the wicked and doesn't want to be like or with those who are in rebellion against God, it's David saying, please, God, don't let me slip into that way of living. David gives God a search warrant for his heart. He opens himself up humbly, and he says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The third movement. 
David gives God a search warrant for his heart. Now, even though this isn't a prescription from David, this is still a part of the same intimate, private discussion between a boy and his heavenly father. I think that we can take something from this. I think that we can model this. Now, why should we model David here? Well, if you are a believer in God, if you're a Christian, you should care what God thinks about. You should care what God cares about. You should want to move away from the parts of you that are offensive, sinful, rebellious, and move towards God, with God, into the way everlasting. But this can be scary because there might be parts of you deep within your heart. Search me and know my heart, God. There might be parts of you in your heart that you are afraid to encounter, much less someone else. You know those thoughts that you have where you're like, man, if anyone knew that that thought just crossed my mind, even just for an instant, they would never look at me the same again. Those kinds of things. That can be scary to think about having that come into the light. And if you're not a believer and you're listening to this message, you're like, well, man, I was thinking about this whole God thing, but if that's part of it, I'm out. I have no interest in that. And I get that. But before you tune out, believer or not alike, please let me introduce you a little more to this God who's so wonderful. Because there is one huge takeaway that all three movements of this passage work together to build for us. Here it is. The Lord is a safe place for you. The Lord God is a safe place for you. The first movement, how wonderful are your thoughts about me? Well, guess what? David had some pretty rough stuff in his life that he might think, well, if God's thinking about me, it could be bad. You remember David and the story of Bathsheba? He went out on his roof. He looked over and he saw Bathsheba bathing and he said, go and get her for me. She became pregnant. And so to cover his sin and his shame, he had her husband murdered. But what's even more dark about that is that her husband was one of a group known as David's Mighty Men. A special force of soldiers that gave up their lives to protect David and do whatever he asked. And he killed him. The one whom Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, trusted and swore his life to defend, betrayed him. And David comes out of the first half of Psalm 139 and says, You know everything about me. 
And yet somehow he's able to say, God, you think about me so much and it's wonderful. That's because he knows that God is a merciful God, that God is a safe place, that God's thoughts about you are safe for you. Movement number two teaches us that your most raw, emotionally charged, irrational, deadly, dark, disgusting thoughts are safe with God. He can handle whatever it is that you have to say to him. Get this, even your thoughts about desiring sin God is a safe place for you with those thoughts. You can go to him and you can tell him, God, I really want to do this. I am loving this more than I love you right now, and I have been. And he's a safe place to do that. He's a merciful God, abounding in mercy, in rich and steadfast love. In the final movement, God's search warrant. David knows that the state of your heart is safe with God. Wherever you find yourself this morning, in the darkest valley, or the highest mountain. The state of your heart is safe with God. Because God is a safe place for you. He is our refuge and our strength. What's even more amazing is David knew this and he didn't even know about Jesus. You know about Jesus? All these things in Psalm 139, you know me, you're with me, you know every part of me, you know me in ways that I can't, you know the darkness of my heart. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that before he came to earth. He chose to give up his life. He came here for one purpose. Knowing you while you were yet a sinner, he died. So that you might live. We have the wonderful gift of knowing that the blood of Jesus covers us with a new set of clothing, a new body, that we can appear before God boldly as his beloved sons and daughters. We know because of Jesus. That the Lord is a safe place for us. We've been preaching through a series called Revive Pursuit. And it's the kickoff of the year. And here's why. Revival, what we're praying for in our community, in our church, in Creekside. It always starts with God's pursuit of you. God is pursuing you. He wants you. He wants to have you as his own. He wants to say, 
This person shall be my son. This person shall be my daughter and I shall be their God. And revival continues when we respond by pursuing God in return. So last week, Jason gave us a call to action, a way that we can revive our pursuit of God. He challenged us to each day for the coming seven days leading up to this Sunday to read three chapters of the Gospel of John. And when you read three chapters seven times, you'll finish the whole book of John. So whether or not you took his challenge, or maybe some of you have started it and you're still planning to continue, you haven't finished the Gospel of John, that's okay. This is about pursuit, making an effort. And so here's our challenge for this week to come. Every morning, set your alarm for just 15 minutes earlier than you ordinarily would. 15 minutes. It's not, not that many minutes. And when you wake up first thing in the morning, the dawning of the new day is you wipe the sleep from your eyes and you know that God is thinking of you. Get a Bible and a blank sheet of paper and a pen or a pencil and read Psalm 139 as a prayer from you to God. Any parts of it that you can pray from your heart, offer it as a prayer from you to God each morning. And as you get to verses 23 and 24, Invite God to search your heart and know you, because he knows you already. The invitation is just you being open to the truth. So invite God to search your heart, to know you, to see if there is any offensive way in you, and to lead you in the way everlasting. And when you finish your prayer and you say, Amen, I want you to spend five minutes of complete silence. Just listen to what the Spirit of God has to say. And anything that you think you hear God saying, write it down. My prayer is that all of us, over this daily practice for the next seven days, will know God more fully We'll know ourselves more fully in light of how God feels about us. And that we will have journeyed with God in flushing out the offensive ways within us so that we can allow him to lead us in the way everlasting. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is a safe place for you. Let's pray. God Almighty, thank you so much for this look into a conversation between you and your servant David. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. We love you.
And in this moment, I want you to just ask God, if you're willing, ask God, um, if you want me to pursue you in this way, praying through Psalm 139 every day this week, please tell me. And if you feel like the Spirit of God is impressing upon you, yes, I want you to do this. And you're willing to make a commitment before God. Go ahead and tell Him in your heart, yes, Lord, I will do it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you know every part of us you love us. Jesus, thank you that you knew the darkest parts of our hearts before you chose to die for us. And thank you that you were thinking of us. Thank you that you were thinking of me. In your name we pray, Jesus.